Well, this morning you want to have your Bible and go to Ephesians and uh, Romans. We're going to spend most of our time in Romans. We're going to start in Ephesians. But as we started this series a few weeks ago, we talked about this, this idea of passion. And because we've been saved, those of us who have been saved, we have been set free to live a life for God. And so because of that, we really ought to aim where? High. We ought to be looking for the best in life, the good things in life, the great things that God has for us. But in doing so, we ought to pay attention to the cleanliness of our hearts, to make sure that our hearts are not becoming darkened with the sin of the world. We also need to have our minds shaped in, in a way that God is able to, to use us and to, to focus our lives because so much of what we do comes from where? From our minds. What we think is what we end up doing so often. This morning I want to talk to you about spiritual gifts. I was thinking uh, about passion a little bit this week, and I'm thinking, I was thinking this this idea of passion is, is maybe a little foreign to some of us, but, but really, here we are in, in the NFL end of the season, and you watch uh, fans have passion. I turned on the game last night from Green Bay, and I thought to myself, those are a bunch of nuts up there. I mean, it was like, what, 16 degrees or 15 degrees or 12 degrees, and it started snowing, and they're out there screaming and yelling for a football team. Now, I like football, don't misunderstand, but there's a line somewhere in that. But those folks are passionate. But why are they passionate about it? Because they live in Green Bay? No, because there are people in Dallas that do the same thing. I won't talk about that. There are people in New Orleans, and we don't want to talk about that one, that do the same thing. They're passionate about it because it's something they really they care about and they, they, they want in their lives. That's what we're talking about is this idea of passion. But how do we get there? I want to talk with you about this idea of spiritual gifts because the, the concept is not a, a rare thing in the scriptures. It's actually very common. Depending on how you count the number of spiritual gifts, there's anywhere between 9 and 21 of them spread across the New Testament. Paul writes about most of them. And I want to talk to you not about the gifts in particular. We could spend hours talking about what this gift means and how this gift works and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to do that. I want us to talk about the importance of living with our spiritual gift, whatever yours happens to be. The moment God saved you, he gifted you at least one spiritual gift. And you're probably thinking to yourself, what is my spiritual gift? God will reveal it to you as you are patient and as you are open to his leading. He probably gave you more than one spiritual gift, but he gave you at least one. And the key to finding that gift, followed by exercising it and then expanding it, is letting God lead you through that. So the big idea is this. We've been saved from darkness so we can live an amazing life fulfilling God's greater purpose in life. We've been saved for a greater purpose than we had before. So we're going to talk about this idea of saved, saved from, saved for what? First of all, in Ephesians 2.10, I want you to see this. We're saved for good works. Now, we start here because Paul lays out very well in Ephesians 2.8 and 9, the verses right before this, the idea that we're what? We're saved by grace. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by what we do, saved by where we go or what we give. We're saved by grace. However, coming out of grace comes what? Good works. And that's what I want you to see this morning. Most first century believers were people who came out of utterly pagan backgrounds. I mean, just a few months or even years before they met Christ, they were involved in some really disturbing pagan practices. They were involved in, in all kinds of weird things that you and I would go, ooh, that's nasty. And it was, and it is. 
But God saved them out of that because they heard the gospel. He gave them the ability to hear the gospel. They had the grace. They trusted Christ. They came into a relationship. And now their eternity settled. Now what? And that's the big question we, I think we have to answer for ourselves. Now what? We come to know the Lord. Now what? I call it living, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, in the in-between times. And what Paul does is eloquently reveal to believers, to people like you and me, what's next. What's next with our lives? I suspect we often miss the what's next because we fill in the blank with a lot of good stuff. We'll put in the blank stuff like this. Well, you need to get baptism. You need to get baptized. Do we need to be baptized? Absolutely. But is that part of salvation? Not necessarily. Not at all, actually. Uh, What about the idea of church membership? Is it important? Yes. But that's not the next step. How about morality? How about goodness? How about these things? Paul makes plain the next step, so to speak, is to do... Good works. Look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Good works. Which God, now here's the beautiful part about it, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, we're not going to get into a discussion about predestination and, 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 and the, the will of man this morning. That's, that's not our purpose. But it does say this, that God has got something for you. Something for me to be involved in in the kingdom of God. Paul says, do good works. He's not talking about our salvation because he just talked about that in verses 8 and 9. He's saying instead, now you're saved by grace, what's next? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, to do good things in the world. Plainly, he's calling us to move forward. He's talking to us about those things that God designed you and me to do. And the God of the universe not only made your salvation possible, but he makes the life for you with him possible as well. His heart for you and me is to be involved in good works. In fact, in his wisdom, he planned it for us. Listen, you know, you know this verse, but let me read it to you. Romans eight twenty eight says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things, what? Work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We have been called by God. We've been saved by God. We've been set apart by God. We've been gifted by God to do good works. You go, well, what does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about that as we work through the Romans passage, but I want you to grasp the big ideas. First of all, God has something for you, and he's gifted you with the ability, the gift to go and do it. question is, will we? And even when things seem to be going poorly, God's still at work. God not only saved us, but he saved us for what? For good works. So now turn to Romans, and I want you to see the fill-out of the, the idea that Paul wrote over in Ephesians. And we don't know for certain whether Paul wrote Romans first or Ephesians first, but I do know this. He was much more uh, in detail in Romans. And there's a lot more here than in the other passage. So that's why I wanted to take you there to see it this morning. So we're saved for good works, first of all. The second thing is we're saved for his godly purpose. God has a purpose for us. Look at verses 12, verse 3 in chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Here's what happens when we're saved. He has a purpose for us. In order for us to see the salvation of God worked out in our lives, he reminds them first that you've been saved for godly purposes. What do you mean? Catch the big idea. 
every single one of us shouldn't be thinking, well, I'm it, I'm somebody, I'm in charge, I'm the boss, I know it all, because let me tell you what, none of us do. We were created, though, with, as a unique creation of God. And somebody once said, well, some of us are more uniquer than others. Maybe that's true, I don't know. But the reality is, you are the only you God created. You and I are the only ones that he put together with the particular gifts, the particular abilities, the particular talents, the particular skills to be who we are. And we need to grasp that value in that moment, understanding that God has something for us that's bigger than ourselves. In a strange way, persons without Christ don't really have hope. They don't really have a way to go forward. They're going in the wrong direction. They're just spinning their wheels. But those of us who've trusted Christ, who've trusted Christ, have a new trajectory, a new pathway, a new purpose in life. Something happens in that moment that we trust Christ. We become something better. We become part of something bigger. We become something greater than on our, we could be on our own. God has something for you, and he has a purpose for you. And we shouldn't take these callings, these gifts, these purposes, and think we're our something. We're not. Instead, we grasp the big idea that God, in his infinite wisdom, said, I'm going to gift this individual with these particular gifts and this particular personality and this particular ability to accomplish these particular tasks. And they have a place that's known, not like anybody else's. I think often we think of ourselves, we go, I'm not that special. I'm not that good. I can't be used by God. I want you to hear this morning, God absolutely has a godly purpose for you as his child, a place, a role, a task, a difference to make in the lives of those around you that only you can do. And he'll give us the faith, the initiative, the ability to do those. In fact, he's going to teach us to do those. We prayed the verse a minute ago in Psalm 32. David told uh, the people of God that God says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye on you. Aren't you glad that God didn't just say, here, I'm saving you. Now, good luck. God says, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to counsel you. I'm going to guide you. And my eye will be on you on a regular basis. So God doesn't just save us for salvation, choose us for salvation. He also says, I want to teach you, instruct you for the purposes I have for you. I don't know about you, but I find real comfort in that. And our task is discover is to discover and live within that purpose in our lives. Third, I want you to see this. We're also saved for mutual support. Look at Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. For it's in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So as Paul continues his challenge to the church at Rome to understand that we are not saved merely as fire insurance to avoid an eternity separated from God. And we're not just saved so that we'll feel good about ourselves in the process. Oh, by the way, those are both benefits that we are sure grateful for, but those aren't the primary purposes. Rather, we are saved to do this, to partake in something greater than ourselves. And this includes what I call mutual support. You know, in modern Christianity, there's a, there's a real strong bent, and I think it's gotten worse over the last couple of years, 
that says this. You know, I want to have a relationship with God. I want to be growing and knowing more about him. But those people in the church, well, they're kind of hard to get along with sometimes. They're not talking about us. They're talking about other people in churches, okay? Y'all be careful. I'm not talking about you, okay? But those people are kind of unpleasant sometimes. So I think I'll just do the me and Jesus thing. I'll just disconnect from the people and I'll engage with the technology and get what I need and what I want and ignore the rest. I know some of you are watching online because of health issues. I get that. Some of you are homebound. I get that. But there is a place in our lives for this interconnectedness that we cannot get any other way than but face-to-face. We are one body. We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So the, we, though many, are one body in Christ. Now think about the imagery here. People who think this idea that I don't need to be around people, they're missing it. They have a, a wrong idea in their minds because they're headed down a road of ineffectiveness. That pathway leads us away from the things of God, not toward the things of a God. They take us toward the things of what I call the things of us. You know, the idea that it's all about me. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I, Let me tell you what. You cannot hang around a bunch of flawed people at certain churches and not figure out that it's not all about you. It's about something bigger than you. Paul says we need to see the body of Christ in, many, in much the same way that we see the the human body. You know, I, I suppose you could cut a few of my fingers off and I would get by just fine. I'd figure out how to live. You could cut my foot off if you wanted to and I could, I'd get by, I'd figure out how to live, right? People do it all the time. But let me ask you this, who really wants to do that? Who wants to go through life without a foot or an arm or fingers? We need each other. We need each other. We need one another. We need to be in relationship with other believers. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to hold each other accountable within the body of Christ. And you can't do that if you're not together, connected, and being with each other. Paul would tell the church at Rome a few, Rome, Rome a few verses later, love one another with brotherly affection. Now, I don't have a brother. I don't know if I missed that or not because I never had it. But I've got two sisters. And I hope they're not listening this morning. But I'll tell you this, sometimes I want to kill a couple of them. Now, their brother is amazing, I'll just tell you that. You all with me? Yeah, he's not either. He has times when he needs to be nodded on the head too, okay? But the idea is, no matter what my sisters do, I love them, right? Even if they make poor choices in life, do I still love them? Absolutely. That's the kind of love, my friends, that we're supposed to have for one another in the body of Christ as we walk together, as we serve together, as we minister together. We love each other. And the big idea is we can't help but help each other because we love one another. And we need each other to do that, to support each other, not only in the good times, but the what? The bad times, the hard times, the difficult times, to walk with a great passion for the things of God. So we're saved for good works. We're saved for godly purposes. We're saved for mutual support. Third, going on in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, we're saved for different roles. Now, I want you to know I find real hope in this. 
The older I get, the more I realize I can't do everything. When I was a young man, I really thought I could do anything. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I thought I could do everything. The older I get, the more I realize I can't. Look what Paul told the church at Rome. He said, having gifts that differ, differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Paul tells them explicitly, he says, look, you've got a different role. You have a different place of service than the person sitting next to you, than the person talking to you, the person listening to you. They have different roles, different purposes, because their gifts differ. You're going, differences, are they good? Yes. While we're part of the same body, we have different roles we need to fill. What God has gifted you to do may not be the thing he's gifted me to do. What God has gifted me to do may not be the thing he's gifted you to do. Here's the beautiful part of it. Every one of us has a place in the body that we can fill those roles. What God has gifted me to do may not be the same thing we are. The role he has for you is surely different. That doesn't make it lesser or unimportant, just different. I know on Sunday mornings I walk around the campus and I see all these individuals showing up early to lead their Sunday school classes. You know, we could have one Sunday school class and one guy could teach everybody. But we would miss out on the fellowship and the connectivity that happens in the small groups across the campus. And the gifts of those individuals to lead, to share, to minister would be missed in that process. And we could have a choir, we could put on tape music. Harold, we could just put on a recording every week. Don't worry about people singing anymore. Quality might be not as good, but it'd be okay, right? But we would miss out on the opportunity to involve individuals in singing and sharing with their gifts and talents. See, we need one another. We have different roles in the kingdom. God created you with a certain set of talents. He created me with a certain set of talents. And then when we trusted Christ, he brings to our life at least one spiritual gift. And we're going to look at a couple of them in a minute. But he brings a spiritual gift to your life that brings your purpose to that next level. So our call is to what? To use those gifts, to put those gifts into practice so we can be the people he wants us to be. This passage is a little lengthy, but I want you to hear it because over in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul tells and spells out these differences so well. He says in verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I, uh, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were on an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The point he's trying to make is this. Every one of us can't be an eye, and every one of us can't be an ear, and every one of us can't be a nose. And aren't you grateful? We all have different places to serve. The big idea is that once you're a follower of Jesus, you have a role to fill, a part to play, a task to accomplish. What is that for you? And we have to be careful not to say, well, I'm this part, and that's the only part that matters. We sometimes do that. Sometimes we look at others with a gift and go, I wish I had that gift instead of this gift. Let me tell you what, that's like saying your brother at Christmas got a gift you, didn't, you wanted and you want to take it away from him. Well, you don't want to do that. 
He got it because that's what his parents gave it. Your parents gave it to him. You got what you got because your parents gave it to you. We need to be grateful for what God's given us. But here's what happens. God will give you a gift. He'll place that gift within you, at least one. And it will often align with your, your talents. It'll align with your training. But sometimes God says, I'm going to give them a gift that doesn't line up with any of that stuff so that I can show my power in their life. I want to show my grace through their lives. And any gift he gives us is one that is designed where God will be glorified and others will be blessed. He says, I'm going to use those gifts in your life. Now, how do you find those? Man, we could spend hours on this conversation, but let me give you the short answer. It's this. Sometimes you just have to go out there and try it. Call it trial and error. You go, well, but I don't like failing. Who does? You remember the first time you got on a bicycle? How'd that go? Yeah. If you're like me, you got skinned knees and a bumped up elbow, right? Because you fell off the stupid thing. You're going, now I watch people do that all the time. That should be easy. And you get up there and you do what? You fall down. But the more you do it, the better you get at it. You find out, hey, I can ride that. And then some folks ride and try to ride and try to ride and try to ride and they find out what? I don't need to get on a bicycle because I will kill myself. You all with me? It's the same thing in the spiritual gift world. Go give it a try. I'm convinced, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. It is okay to try and then fail. It is not okay to not try. Often we find out the gift God has for us when we go out and try something that's outside of our comfort zone and we step into a role that God is able to use. And you find it by trial and error. You find it by prayer and consideration. You find it by support and confirmation. Some people around you will say, you ought to be, and you'll go, I never thought about that. That's what God has for you. As a follower of Jesus, he has a role for you. You need to find it. In fact, I'm convinced when you find that role and you begin to do that role, you're going to find a passion for the things of God that you didn't have before. And you're going to enjoy life a whole lot more. It's a whole lot easier to be a square pig in a square hole than a square pig in a round hole. You know with me? When you get to do what God has for you, you find it's worth doing. And then the final thing I want you to grasp this morning is he saved us for specialized, what I'm calling specialized blessings. I struggle with how to phrase this one. Hopefully it'll make sense when I get finished. He goes into a list here. Now I want you to understand this list is not exhaustive. In other words, it's not every spiritual gift. There's three places in the New Testament if you want to go study and read about spiritual gifts. And Romans 12 is one, 1 Corinthians 12 is another, and Ephesians 4 is the other one. And then there's a couple of, of scattered individual gifts in different places that he has for us. But what he does here is he gives us kind of a, gives the church at Roman an, an illustrative list. It's like, here are some of the things that God might have for you. These are some of the ways that you could be specializing in blessing others. I don't think he's trying to give us the, uh, the full list. You could take hours. In fact, I've taught a class once on spiritual gifts, and it took weeks to go through all of them because there's so much. You can talk about how this one works and how that one works and what it finishes and what God does. and how that. That's not the purpose this morning. The intent here is to help us understand if we're going to live the life of godly passion that he wants for us, we've got to figure out and let God reveal to us our purpose our gift, our ability. And when you begin to serve in that area, you go, this is good. 
We've got folks in our church that have served in children's ministries for decades. Now, I've got to tell you, uh, that doesn't sound like fun to me. Y'all with me? Why? Because God didn't gift me in that area. Now, can I sit down and talk with kids? I tried it Christmas Eve. We're going to try it again later this year and see how it goes. It was fun. Some of them, they were here. They're laughing. See, they, they knew that it was like trying to get a few cats to go in one direction. You know how lucky, you know how that works, don't you? It doesn't. But I tell you what, those people who serve in those areas, they found their purpose. They've found their gift. They found their passion. And when we find our passion, that's when God begins to use us in ways that we could never begin to imagine. We discover these lists, if you look at them on your own time, what you'll find is that, that, that many of these gifts are designed to be public, like teaching children, like preaching, like leading in music, those kind of things. But there's also others that are designed more for a private nature of, of communicating and encouraging one another. Every one of them has a specialization, if you will, that helps build the kingdom of God. And the big idea is this, God created these gifts for one purpose, to bless others, to bless others. As we do the things that God has for us as individuals, we find that we do get a blessing, don't misunderstand. But ultimately it's about blessing others in the name of Jesus. And we bless God in the process. I think Peter sums up the big idea best when he says this in 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now that's a challenge in and of itself. But he goes on and says this. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But look at this. But on the contrary, do what? Bless. Bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Guys, we've been called to a high call of blessing one another and blessing God. And as followers of Jesus, we've been saved. We've been in the Holy Spirit implanted in us and we've given, been given a spiritual gift. And we need to learn to work together to accomplish that. Can you imagine the good that will be accomplished when the body of Christ fills those roles, does the things that God has for us, and we encourage each other through it. Wow. But what's the first step? You got to know Jesus. That's where it starts. You got to trust Christ. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. For most of us in this room, that's not the issue. The issue is saying, okay, God, I'm going to let my will be subjected to your will. I'm going to let my purpose be subjected to your purpose, and I'm going to follow you with what you have for me. I want to encourage you, when you do that, you're going to find a passion for God and a passion for life that makes a world of difference in your life. Father God, we thank you for allowing us to come together and to sing and to worship and to consider this idea of spiritual gifts. God, we want our lives to bless you and bless others. We want to make a difference, not for our sake, but for your sake. We want you to be glorified through us as we fill the role that you have for us, the gift that you have for us, the place of service that you have for us. And we thank you, God, that you did that. Lord, help us to find those and then begin to live that way. In Jesus' name.